Grace and peace to you from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We are all in need of healing. And the healing we need is the healing of our intellect that God provides for us. And the creeds are part of that healing. In the creeds, our subjective way of thinking is given objectivity as God's thoughts become our thoughts. The liturgical worship makes use of three historic ecumenical creeds. The Athanasian Creed, due to its length, is almost wholly reserved for Holy Trinity. The Apostles' Creed, generally used for non-communion occasions. And then the Nicene Creed is used almost exclusively for the divine service with Holy Communion. Unless you make a mistake like I did tonight and throw it in a non-communion service. All three of these creeds serve our need for intellectual healing. Because they objectify the gospel message in contrast to the myopia of contemporary culture. Any contemporary culture, by the way, not just this soot-stoned modern era that we call life. Human intellect is continually in the process of rewriting God's story. Gene Vith, in his book on modern times has a chapter that he calls Constructing and Deconstructing the Truth. And in it he describes the way we have been taught to think in our times. He talks about those that are called deconstructionists, which I'm sure you've heard of, maybe in the news. Deconstructionists cultivate purposefully what they call subversive readings. That language doesn't really mean what it means. In other words, if words really mean what they mean, then we have to all agree that there is an absolute truth. That there is a transcendent realm of absolute truth. Rather, the deconstructionists argue that language actually constructs the meaning of reality as opposed to describing reality. Thus the deconstructionists have these subversive readings in which they deconstruct the text, the language of our life. They dismantle the words so that they can put them back together in new and innovative ways. We started this in the 60s. Some of you might remember those days. I don't, I wasn't around. But we started saying that your dress is hot. It makes no sense. The people in the 1800s would have said, I'm on fire. No, it's hot. I don't get it. Right. Your car is cool. Stephanie's wife, Stephanie's husband is very cool. In the 1800s, they would say, well, then get him a cup of coffee or a jacket. Now, in the 60s, it was funny. It was fun. We didn't think anything about it. But then transpose that into modern America, and you take the words sex and gender. Sex used to be a verb. It's what we did with our noun, which was gender. We actually took sex, which was a verb, and we turned it into a noun, meaning whether you were male or female, which freed up the word gender that we could use for something else. 
So now sex can be used as a verb. It can also properly be used as a noun, which means that we can now use gender to mean sexual preference. There's still two sexes, but there are 58 different genders and counting, by the way. This contemporary way of thinking is expressed in the sentence in sort of the same way. My sister-in-law used a donor sperm to become pregnant, and I like my sister-in-law, so I don't think see anything wrong with it. As Biff says, this is how we see the difference between right and wrong. It's not a matter of objectively being right or being wrong. It's whether we like it or not. Spiritual beliefs are expressed by the modern skeptic in words and phrases such as this. I don't like the idea of hell, therefore I don't believe in it. I personally would never pers uh, participate in abortion, but what right do I have to tell someone else how to live? Too bad all of the government didn't have that same idea, right? Our contemporary culture does not like what it hears from God. And I must admit that I am infected as well, just as, as all of you are. For example, when I'm in a hurry, I have a tendency to not come to a complete and utter and full stop at the stop signs, right? And trust me, I rarely obey speed limits. They're more like suggestions in my world. I am a willing participant in my own sinful nature. And it's only when I feel threatened by the unpleasant possibility of receiving a citation that I reluctantly alter my subjective likes and dislikes for that small time that my way says that there may or may not be a police officer a little farther up on the interstate. And yet, as some continually, I am continually transformed by the gospel. And I confess in the creed each week that my life is also being given over to Christ who lives in me so that I will more often and more willingly obey. All of us are a very strange mixture of saint and sinner. And we don't easily recognize this within ourselves. It's much easier to see it in everybody else. And we like to sort of pick at everybody else. This is what Jesus is saying about take the plank out of your eye before helping your brother with his speck. We don't easily recognize the need for the healing of our intellect. And since it requires us to admit that we may be sick in the way we think. And since it's impossible for the sick to recognize his own sickness, we need an external second opinion about our thinking. And that second opinion comes from God and how God sees us. For a lot of us, it's a lot easier to pray for physical healing than to pray for our own intellect. The only healing of mind that ever seems to need to be prayed for is maybe ambivalence. If somebody is in some sort of an emotional pain, right? If they're suffering from grief or fear or panic or depression, it's much harder for us to think that our well-ordered rational thinking might actually be broken and is in need of healing. 
we easily give in to our sinful nature. And we think, well, I must be right. I thought it. Every generation from Adam up until now has needed healing at the core of its thinking. But why? Because our intellect, our intellect is continually in conflict with God. Like Adam and Eve, our mother and father, were tempted to think for ourselves. Rather than trust the truth of God's revelation that He has given unto us. They rebelled and they suffered and they began to die for it. The tempter deconstructs the word of God. He says unto Eve, God didn't really say, Surely you won't really die. He deconstructs the text so he can put it back together in a new way that becomes appealing unto us because our, our thinking is broken, it's weak. Without the healing of our intellect, we assume that whatever we're thinking is reality. This means that we think all of the experiences in life mean only what we think they mean. What did you get out of that experience? Well, you get out of what you want. The parallels to this can be seen in art appreciation today. It's difficult to find an artist who paints and sculpts in a way of conveying a truth. Instead, the artist prefers to invite you to get your own meaning out of the piece of the art, therefore making it more valuable to you. Because <laughs> they want you to buy it. The artist knows exactly what's going on. We're addicted to our own way of thinking. He can draw a sheep, but if you think it's a rocking chair, by all means, call it a rocking chair. The extreme of those who believe that reality is subjective is, is a person who, having a mental breakdown, thinks that they can fly like Superman. And clearly, we all realize that they have had a break with reality and they're not Superman, so we're trying desperately not to get them to leap off of the building. They have lost objectivity, but they are reluctant to identify themselves as such. In the Nicene Creed, we confess in the divine liturgy, keeps our intellect and our objectivity healthy by convincing us that we are God's creation and that His reality is correct. In the creeds, we not only hear about the truth of God, we also hear about the truth of ourselves. Like each three of the articles speaks to us in our time and in every generation. Our confession of faith begins as follows. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, the maker of heaven and earth and all things visible and invisible. The oneness of God is clarified in our speaking as we speak the name of God as he has revealed himself unto us. Our God's name is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Any God that goes by a different name is not the same God that we believe made heaven and earth and all things visible and invisible. The Eastern influence of Eastern religion is appealing. The cool thing about Eastern religions is that you get to pick your own deity. And you choose according to your likes and your dislikes. And once you've chosen your likes and your dislikes, you can always go back and make another choice. You can just change your mind. You go, I don't like it anymore. I'm going to now worship the monkey god instead of the rat god. Whatever you want to do. In contrast, Western 
Christian beliefs, these subjective beliefs in God are rejected as we confess the creed that God has given unto us. He has chosen to reveal unto us His name as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. In our brave new world, reproductive technologies of genetic manipulations of designer children and human cloning can incite curiosity and consume our imagination. How exciting it is to take life into our own hands. To be the maker of heaven and earth, of all things visible and invisible, and remake the world in our own image so that our subjectivity becomes our new religion. Huxley's futuristic novel, Brave New World, has no room for a mother and father since all children are conceived and bred in laboratories, so their conditioning can be shaped by others according to what society needs, not according to what God has decided we would be. Our confession of faith that God is our Father stands over against this thinking. It proclaims to the world that we have only one God and only one Father and that His creative powers are continually at work within the procreation of our children. Through this one flesh union of marriage, our thinking, any other thinking otherwise, is in need of healing. Because it is broken, sick. Human subjectivity is what brought Adam and Eve down. It made this fallen world. It has become common that we want to be our own God, to deny the objectivity of reality. God himself reveals himself not only as unity, but also as diversity. He is one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The second article of the Creed speaks of God as being one with the Father. Our God, God of God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father. This distinction between being begotten and being made is clarified, is meaning that the Son of God is one substance with the Father. This clarification is important in our thinking about God and about ourselves, it's important that we know that the Father and the Son are of the same substance as a way of saying that Jesus is not less than God the Father. He's not more than God the Father, even though he became incarnate as man. It is clear to Jesus's contemporaries that he claimed it to be God in the flesh. Now, his critics rejected this claim. But they knew that this is what he claimed for himself. Whether people of our own time are clear about who Jesus is remains to be seen. But it has always been, whether there is faith to receive this truth, those that receive that truth, because it is the truth of God given to us. The importance of Christians today, who look to God for understanding of their lives, is the concept of begotten, not made. It applies to our children as well. Because our children are begotten of their parents in an act of procreation. They are of the same substance as us. Literally a combination of two sets of DNA. The distinction is particularly important in the making of children by means of, say, donor sperm or donor eggs. Or the making of children for a woman who was chosen not to marry. Or the making of children through human cloning. 
The ongoing debate that will continue to rage for quite some time about what do we do with the leftover embryos after in virtue fertilization and you got a couple of these extra human beings laying around frozen someplace. It underscores the human waste mentality that treats all life, especially human life, as being disposable. If the Son is begotten of the Father, it is also the message of the Christian faith that children are meant to be of the same substance of their parents. Anybody who disagrees, I think, is in a state of, of unhealth and needs healing. I knew a man once who was suspicious of Christianity who challenged the Nicene Creed. He said, after all, no one really knows if Jesus was really God. He said, even the creed throws doubt upon it by saying that it's only according to the scriptures. It's a great argument. Here he takes this great affirmation of faith in the Nicene Creed and makes it a qualifying expression, assuming that all we have to go on is according to the scriptures. And those scriptures might not be accurate. But in the confession of the creed, it's an affirmation, not a qualification. According to the scriptures mean that the New Testament scriptures agree with the prophecies of the Old Testament scriptures. You see, the subjectivity calls into the question the true faith that is proclaimed everywhere throughout all of scripture. And the antidote is the objective witness of the creeds. These creeds and these words that Christians have confessed in unity for more than 2,000 years. The heart and soul of the teaching of our Lord Jesus Christ. Who is triune. Who heals our intellect. Through teaching us not only about himself but also teaching us about us. I believe in the Holy Spirit. The Lord and giver of life who proceeds from the Father and the Son. Who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified. Who spoke by the prophets. I believe in the holy Christian and apostolic church. I believe in one baptism for the remission of sins. I look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. The good news is that our mission and our purpose and our vocation and the creed is not only about God, but it's also about us. It's also about us and our life with God in this world and not just this world, but also in the next world. This truth is no subjective opinion that's subject to polls or whims. It is an objective fact that God has taught unto us. And we confess it loud enough that each of us can hear our neighbor as they confess it with us as a community in worship. As we prepare to meet the world that's sick and broken and dying with the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. With the truth that God himself has given unto us. Listen to the Lord God and be healed of your illness. Praise be unto God. Amen.